Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. During Haggai 2, verses 20 to 23. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Thanks, Becca. It's lovely to be here. And uh, looking forward to seeing some more glasses or hats or the fingerless gloves that I get lots of abuse for on our Vision Sunday. The idea is to put on some spectacles, but that'll be afterwards. Let me uh, pray and then we'll get into Haggai. Father, thank you for today. Thank you that Jesus has risen from the dead. Thank you that his church is still being built despite COVID-19. And we pray you would give us the right view and lenses to see what you're doing on earth when everything around seems a bit... Uh, gone to pot. We know you're still in control and you're still at work. And so help us as Christ City Church to know the part we can play at this time in history. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So each each year we spend one Sunday uh, in October thinking about our vision and what we're all about, uh, why we exist, what is our purpose. Uh, Having a vision is really important. Uh, For example, Leanne and I are just coming to the end of a building project on our house. And uh, before you start a building project on your house, you need to have a vision. What do we want the house to look like? What, how, where's this door gonna go? And what's gonna happen here and this ensuite and whatever else you're doing, what are we trying to achieve? Once the vision's in place, the architect can go to work. Once the, once the architect has work, gone to work and, and, and the vision has got some kind of reality on paper, then the builders can go to work and the vision becomes a reality in cement. The vision was all in Leanne's head and she has been bossing, so she's been exercising lovely leadership to everyone to ensure that the vision becomes a reality. Uh, a vision ensures everyone goes in the right direction. If you don't have a vision, how are you going to build? A house it's going to be a disaster so visions inspire hope they motivate action they change the status quo they give us direction at the end of book at the book of Haggai God gives Zerubbabel a vision whilst the people uh, who have come back from exile 520 BC as they're rebuilding the Lord's house the temple of Jerusalem he gives them a vision well in fact God gives Zerubbabel two things He gives him a global vision first. What is God doing in history and how is history going to end? It's a big vision. And he gives him a personal vision. Zerubbabel, what is your part? What is the leadership? What is the gifts you've got to exercise right now in God's great plan for the world? So we're going to look at the global vision and the personal vision God gave Zerubbabel and think, well, what is the application for our church at our time, in our context, in our city, during COVID? What does it mean for us to play our part in this great vision? So let's start with the global vision. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. 
I will overturn royal thrones and shatter foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall each by the sword of his brother. God tells Haggai, who tells Zerubbabel, that God is going to do four things in human history. He's going to shake the heavens and the earth. He's going to overturn royal thrones. He's going to shatter powerful foreign kingdoms. And he's going to overthrow all hostile armies. That's where history, that's what, that's what God is doing in history. Now, do you remember the phrase, shake the heavens and the earth? If, if you've been with us in the series in Haggai, this is our last one. It's not the first time we've heard this phrase. It happened at the start of chapter two. Do you remember? What did God say then? He said this, in a little while, I'll once more, same expression, shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I'll shake all the nations, not just the heavens and the earth. And, and what is desired by all nations will come and I'll fill this house with glory. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. So God's already said he's going to shake the heavens and the earth and he's actually going to shake the nations. He's referring to a great cataclysmic event that's going to create huge political and financial turmoil and unrest. And what's going to happen is that all the wealth of the nations is going to come in and fill the temple, the house in Jerusalem and all the desire of the nations, which means not just Jews, but Gentiles, all the nations, all God's people who are going to be scattered around, all the nations are going to come and worship and belong in the Jewish temple. And so the glory of this new temple that Zerubbabel and his people are making is going to be greater than the glory of the old temple because it's going to encompass all the nations where it's not just an, a, a temple for the Jews. So do you see, before God had said to Zerubbabel, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the nations are going to bring their wealth and their culture and their glory. And they're going to bring it all into the temple as a, a sacrifice of worship to me. I'm going to be their God. All the nations are going to come in. But now at the end, he says, all the nations are going to be destroyed. They're going to be judged. All hostile armies are going to be overthrown. All rulers that are hostile to me are going to be destroyed. The whole creation is one that is going to shake in a more dramatic way. His point is this. This is key for understanding human history. There is a time for the nations to come in and be saved. And there is a time for the, when the nations will be judged and destroyed. There is a now and there is a then. Now imagine being Zerubbabel. Remember the context? 520 BC, the Israelites are back from captivity in Babylon. They started to rebuild the temple. They had all this kind of gusto and vision. We're going to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. But they got discouraged and their vision had waned. And instead, they turned to build their own houses instead of the Lord's house. So they were living in comfort while the Lord's house was in ruins. And Haggai gives a devastating critique. He says, what is happening externally mirrors what's happening internally. The people do not have a house to worship the Lord in because their heart is not a place where the Lord is worshipped. The decay and the ruin of the temple in their midst, while they live in nice, comfortable, cozy houses, is a visual aid to the half-heartedness, the compromise and the lukewarmness in their hearts. So imagine being Zerubbabel. He sat amongst the ruins of a half-built temple with a half-hearted people, depressed, dis discouraged, uncertain, fearful. 
And God says, the glory is going to be greater and I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the nations are going to bring their wealth in and then one day the nations are going to be destroyed and you must be going, what? When? How? When? He's sitting in ruins. Well, if that wasn't enough for Zerubbabel, there's more. It moves from the global vision to the personal vision. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. There's three ways the Lord refers to Zerubbabel. Firstly, he calls him a servant. David was God's servant. And most famously, there was an individual in the book of Isaiah who would suffer greatly as God's servant. But now Zerubbabel is God's servant. He is the chosen one. The tribe of Judah was chosen. Mount Zion was chosen. David was chosen. The suffering servant in Isaiah was chosen. All to fulfill God's purposes. And now Zerubbabel is chosen. And finally, he's a signet ring. What is a signet ring and why is it so significant? Well, a signet ring has significance for two reasons. Firstly, it says ownership or that you belong to the royal line. You're part of the royal this is something that means that you belong to the royal line and therefore it gives you authority the ring was used to seal legal documents using wax it was the royal stamp the royal seal so you can imagine this ring is very costly it's very precious and so to guard it against theft it would usually be worn on the king's person on the king's finger as a signet ring so a signet ring is both kept safe by the king and he's used by the king as a seal. God is saying to Zerubbabel, I'm gonna put you on my finger. You'll be my stamp and my seal of divine authority and divine ownership. You'll be my representative. And as my representative, I'm gonna keep you safe, as safe as a ring on my finger, you belong to me. Just imagine Zerubbabel sitting amongst the half-hearted people with a half-built temple. The glory of this temple is going to be greater than the former one. The wealth of the nations are going to come in. The, the nations are going to be shaken and destroyed. I have a role as God's signet ring for this moment. And how did Zerubbabel react? How would you have reacted? But, but how did? Let me ask you the question. How did Zerubbabel react? Do you know? None of us know from the book of Haggai. Like many of Jesus' parables, it ends on a cliffhanger. So that we, the reader, put ourselves in the story and think upon the challenge and respond appropriately for our day. Now, we don't know how he reacted, but we know that the promises of this vision were not fully fulfilled in his day. The temple was rebuilt, sure, eventually, but that, the rest of the vision, the nations coming in, that didn't really happen. There was 400 years of silence after this. The nations being overturned, that didn't happen. We had the Persians and then we had the Greeks and the Romans. The glory being greater, it didn't feel very glorious. None of that happened in Zerubbabel's day, that bit of the vision. Do you notice verse 23? It says, on that day. Well, what day? If it didn't happen on Zerubbabel's day, when was this vision fulfilled? What day is this vision going to be fulfilled? Let me suggest four days of fulfillment. For peaks, when you climb a mountain, especially a big one, you can see a peak in front of you and you work towards that peak. And then you get to the top 
and you realize it's just one peak of many. And then there's the next one. And so you go to the next one and then you realize there's still two more after that. So there ends up being four different peaks to climb until you get the top. That's how this prophecy and vision works. That's how most Old Testament prophetic ministries get for prophetic words get fulfilled. They have peaks of fulfillment. So let's think of the four peaks. Firstly, there was Zerubbabel's day. This did get partially fulfilled in his day. The temple was rebuilt, but the nations never came in. Then there's Jesus's day, God's presence and glory on earth, God's chosen servant and signet ring, ruling with God's authority, safe in God's hands, and the nations did come in and bring their wealth. Do you remember it right at his birth? Magi from the east bought what? Frankincense. Gold. Myrrh, the nations coming in with wealth. But whilst many people came to worship, and his arrival did shape the religious and political establishment of his day, his kingdom wasn't political, but spiritual, ruling the hearts of the people. He didn't rule with the sword, so the Romans' authorities were not overthrown. Instead, he was overthrown. He was shaken. He was shattered. He was the suffering servant. He died at the hands of foreign armies. He didn't overthrow them. But three days after, his body, the true temple, was rebuilt. So the nations could come in and be part of a spiritual temple where he is the the cornerstone. Which leads me to my next fulfillment. The Spirit's Day through the church. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he poured out his spirit and the church was born. And now the promise of Zerubbabel really starts to see fulfillment. Even on the day of Pentecost, when the spirit is poured out on the church, we hear in Acts chapter 2 that there's nations from every, uh, there's people from every nation gathered. And as they are baptized in the spirit and Peter preaches the word of God on the day of Pentecost, loads of nations repent and believe and the spiritual house is starting to be built. The glory of this house is greater because it's more expansive, it's global, it includes the Gentiles, it includes all of us. Unless you're in Jewish background, you are part of this glorious new temple who've believed the good news. When Jesus gives his disciples the Great Commission and he says, you're gonna be my representatives, you're gonna, you're gonna go to all the nations sharing my message. And he says, I'm gonna keep you safe. I'm gonna be with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, he's going to hold us in his hand. We're going to be his ring. And on this day, the day of the spirit that we're in right now, you and I, the last days is what the New Testament calls them. There's going to be tremors. The Lord is going to shake the heavens and the earth in a, in a, as a tremor. There's going to be political upheaval in these last days, financial devastation at points, overthrowing of rulers. We're experiencing one right now during COVID-19. The nations are shaking, but this is a tremor. This isn't the earthquake. It's to wake us up and to warn us of the full and final shaking of all nations on earth. The nations are coming in now as the gospel goes out. One day that moment will finish and the nations will be judged and destroyed. The final day, the day of judgment. The kingdom that was hidden when Jesus first came, because it came not politically, but spiritually, will come with power and splendor. On judgment day, the signet ring will arrive in glory. He will shake the heavens and the earth. The wealth of the nations will come into the eternal city. He will overthrow all earthly rulers. He will shatter, shatter all hostile armies. He will be king and every knee 
will bow. Friends, this is the final day that we're all heading towards. Peter puts it like this in a letter. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, the ones he made to the rubber ball, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Right now for us in 2020 during COVID-19, like Zerubbabel among the ruins of the temple in 520 BC, it can feel like God is being slow in keeping his promises. He feels far off. His glory just feels miles away. Peter says, no, the Lord isn't slow in keeping his promise. He's patient. He's giving time for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth, for every nation to respond and not perish. And when all the nations have heard the good news of Jesus, then the end will come. And the day will come like a thief. The final shaking and shattering of the heavens and the earth will come. It's coming. COVID-19, it feels like forever, doesn't it? It's just a minor tremor of the, the earthquake that's coming on heaven and earth one day. We're getting a small foretaste of the final judgment to wake us up. Are you finding COVID-19 hard? Are you finding the restrictions hard? Are you desperate at times? Are you lonely? It's just a tremor helping us get ready for the earthquake. So we're prepared that we repent, Peter says. So what is our response? What is our role? What is our moment in this moment in history as it was for Zerubbabel? How do we respond in our city? This is our vision Sunday. What does it mean for us to build the Lord's house and not just our own houses? How do we go about it? We're on Zoom. My Zoom just crashes. <laughs> we cannot meet. We cannot even hug each other. How on earth are we to play our part in fulfilling this great vision? Well, before we throw our arms up in despair, in the air, in defeat, COVID's making this too hard. Let's remember again Zerubbabel, standing in a half-built temple with a half-hearted people. Look who is responsible for seeing the vision fulfilled. Look who is responsible. Seven times God says he's going to do it. He's going to shake the heavens. He's going to overthrow the rulers. He's going to shatter the kingdoms. He's going to overturn armies. He's going to choose his servants. He's going to take his servant and use them. And he's going to make his servant like a signet ring. This is God at work, always and forever at work, as history moves forward towards the end for which he created and purposed. You know, a passage that's spoken to me deeply in lockdown, I've quoted it, I'm sure, before on one of these calls. 2 Timothy 2.9. Why? Because the Apostle Paul's in lockdown with grade 10 level restrictions because he's in prison, in a Roman prison, expecting, awaiting execution. He has no way to get out and he will never get out. He's alone, desperately alone. He doesn't have Zoom. He's alone, isolated, on his own, with no chance of escape. What is his understanding of how the vision that God promised to rubble? How is that going to get fulfilled? Look what he says. I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Paul's in the ultimate lockdown. He's separated. He's got no access. He cannot leave. He's isolated. Does he fear? Does he doubt God's not at work? Does he think God has stopped? Not for a moment. He says, I might be restricted. I might be in quarantine. Not God's word. It can actually spread as fast when I'm in prison as when I'm out of prison. 
Jesus said he'd build his church and the gates of hell and COVID-19 and nothing that's going to happen on this earth will ever prevail against it. The church may have to adapt and become more creative and versatile. We may have to think harder about being a scattered church rather than a gathered church. But when God's people in history have had their backs against the wall and have had to adapt and have felt weak and vulnerable, we are at our unbeatable best because when we are weak, he is strong and he has to do it. Do you remember they kicked the Chinese, the missionaries out of China in 1953 and everyone went, what's gonna happen to the Chinese church? They let them in decades later, it had exploded. It exploded. Remember Acts chapter 8? They started persecuting the Christians. And Saul was there giving his approval as they stoned the first Christian martyr, Stephen, to death. And they scattered the church from outside of Jerusalem. What happened? The mess, all the disruption, all the persecution, it brought about the Great Commission. They went out of Jerusalem finally into Judea, Samaria. Even this built, half-built temple. The temple in Jerusalem, when the Jews were in exile, they established synagogues, places to study the word of God. The temple that Zerubbabel and his people built was destroyed later in AD 70. Synagogues still survive. And the word of God has carried on being studied in all the nations where synagogues were established by the Jews. And that is why on the day of Pentecost, so many of the nations were there because they'd heard the word of God in exile. Don't for a minute think God is not at work. And he's not building his church. We still have the divine authority, that message of the gospel. And we still have divine protection. We're safe in him. Physically, we may die of COVID-19. Spiritually and eternally, we are safe in Jesus now and forever. Physically, we may feel financially it's really tough. Spiritually and eternally, we are safe in Jesus forever. That's our true safety. That gives you a fearlessness and a freedom from anxiety in these days. Of course, we must play our part in reducing the curve and following the guidelines, obeying our government. But our ultimate safety lies in God. We're safe in his hand. We're his signet ring. He's put us on his finger and says, you have to rip my church off my finger to get me. It's never going to happen. And so for us, the world has changed. The COVID restrictions may come and go and be level one to level five. The challenges, hardships, trials may continue. Some of us may die even of COVID. The shaking of our world may last a lot longer in this present way it's been shaken. But God's plan and purposes in human history can never be thwarted. His word is not chained and his church will continue to grow. So four applications. What does it mean for us to play our part? Four applications for you and for me. First of all, resist the temptation to compromise. That was what they'd failed to do in Haggai's day. They'd built their own houses while they left the Lord's house. Pressure means you turn in on yourself. Hardships means you just go take care of number one. Uh, the, church, uh, the church community, my brothers, uh, resist the temptation to compromise. Just to sort your own house out and forget the Lord's house. Don't get sucked in by the world. Don't, it's, you know, when, when life's hard, you can just make excuses and feel sorry for yourself. Oh, I haven't got... No, no, resist the temptation. They didn't, and, and Haggai had to come and prophesy. Secondly, resist the temptation to drift. Do you see what happens in Haggai's day? They start off well, but as it goes on and on and on and on and on, and the house doesn't really get rebuilt, the Lord's house, weeks turn into months, and months turn into years, and suddenly... I used to be really plugged into the church and I just drifted. I didn't make any aggressive decisions, but 
I just, yeah, don't drift. You have to intentionally now, more intentionally than ever, choose to invest if you want to. And particularly when it comes to making decisions of jobs and where you're going to live and what career path you're going to have. And those big decisions involve people from the church. Stay connected. It's easy to drift. It requires more intentionality now. Intentionally remain plugged in. Thirdly, practice hospitality. Our second best building tool at this time when we're a scattered church. How do you build a scattered church when you cannot build a gathered church? You offer hospitality within whatever safety and comfort you feel happy with. So you can go for walks, you can cook meals and deliver them. It doesn't have to be in your home. It can be in your home. Invite people in, but also into your heart. Show love and care. Hospitality has in its mind this idea of the stranger, the alien, the one on the end, the one that's finding it harder. Offer hospitality. Use your strength to bless others in their weakness. Develop and deepen those Christian friends in life groups and city groups. When the churches can't be gathered, you've got to practice hospitality and work on those smaller relationships. Not being clicky and cliquey and, and just making sure you've got your three or four best mates. Hospitality looks outside of your little bubble to care for those. Not, 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 not COVID bubble, excuse me, but you understand the point. Offer hospitality. Thirdly, fourthly, persevere in prayer. Our greatest building tool. COVID has no way to restrict or quarantine or limit prayer. COVID-19 cannot touch prayer. Government restrictions cannot touch prayer. Persevere in prayer, crying out to God for yourself, for your city, for your friends, for your family, for your heart, for your city group, for your life group, for, for those that you know that are having a tough time, for what you listen on the news, persevere in prayer. Our prayer and worship night is the most important meeting every month in this church. It's this Wednesday, come along. It's the engine, it's the power. It's the number one tool we have to build. God does the building, what do we do? We respond in prayer and say, Lord, build. Whenever you receive a promise or a vision in scripture, the first way to respond is in prayer by saying, God, we claim that promise that you're going to make the glory of this house, your church, greater than the glory of the old house. We know where history is heading. We're experiencing a really horrible shaking right now, but it's just a tremor. The earthquakes to come. The nations have been given time to come in and repent. We have the message of the gospel. We have divine authority. We are the signet ring and we are safe, eternally safe. So resist the temptation to compromise. Where's that, where are you, resist. Resist the temptation to drift, build into church relationships. What does that mean for you? Practice hospitality, invest in the smaller numbers and persevere in prayer. Let me pray. Let's take a moment just to be silent and then we can pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful book, so timely for our times when we feel shaken and so like when we feel like Zerubbabel and his crew, just this, you know, the church, it's just, it just feels like, Lord, it's, everything's been devastated and yet you are still at work. And so teach us now what it is to stay committed to you, to stay intentional in our relationships, to love the outsider and love one another with various acts of hospitality and to continue to pray and stay close to you, that our walk with you would remain vital. We'd uh, continue our spiritual zeal. We'd, we wouldn't lose it like they did then. 
and, and enable us at this time to be a church that cares so well for one another whilst remaining outward focused, looking to share the gospel and give those who don't know you a chance to repent before the earthquake, before the real, this tremor becomes the great final judgment day. Uh, Lord, you're not slow in keeping your promises, but you are patient. So we want to use the time you've given us well. Help us as a church at this time, we pray in Jesus name. Amen.